Now for the remainder of us, we'll be in the book of Micah, another minor prophet this morning. Uh, we're in a brief series preparing our hearts for the day of thanksgiving where we're focusing upon the character of God. So each of these sermons focus on an aspect of who God is, an aspect of His character that never changes. So that no matter what, no matter what our circumstances are, we have reason to give thanks. So I direct your attention to the book of Micah, chapter 7. This morning I'll be reading verses 18 through 20. Micah, chapter 7, 18 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Would you bow with me in prayer again? Father, this morning as we come to reading this passage of your steadfast love, we ask for your spirit to guide us that we might understand and apply it to our lives. Empower us to live according to your great steadfast love. Father, we don't begin to claim to comprehend how deep your love is or why you love us like you do. Yet, Father, we give you praise and thanksgiving for your steadfast love endures forever. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, as a congregation, you know that about three years ago, I took up the game of golf as a hobby. Um, now, it wasn't the first time I played golf. Actually, my father, when I was growing up, he played about once a week with a good friend of his. And when I was about 14, he wanted to introduce me to the game. Now, the introduction didn't last. It took about an old 40-year break. Um, but I can remember Dad, when I was 14, he would take me to the driving range a little bit to hit some balls. And then finally, the day came. The Saturday morning, when I was finally going to be unleashed on an actual golf course. Dad had made a tee time at the Madisonville Public Course, a little nine-hole course that he said would be great for beginners. So we get there early on a Saturday morning, and Dad says, now I'm going to hit first, and then you just take your time, okay? Do what, what we've practiced. So Dad steps up, and as a 14-year-old, it looked like his ball went a mile straight down the middle of the fairway. Oh, goodness. It was my turn. Now, I promise you, from the moment that my dad stepped off the tee box, there was no other soul around that first tee. But from the time he stepped down till I stepped up, put my tee in the ground with the ball on top of it, at least 10 men showed up and were standing around that tee box. I knew I was in trouble because they had to be serious golfers. They were all wearing plaid pants. So I knew this was serious business, but I tried to calm down, take my time, do what Dad had taught me. So I take a deep breath, and in my mind, now this is pre-Tiger Wood days, I'm thinking Jack Nicklaus, slow, steady, the golden bear. And I swing the smoothest, prettiest swing you could imagine for a 14-year-old. And I look down the fairway. 
because I know my ball's got to be down there. If not near dad's, past it. Then I look down. The ball's still on the tee. It's okay. Practice swing. Go through the same process. Swing again. Same result. Swing again. Same result. About the sixth time, I'm getting ready and I'm really trying to focus, and I hear this voice say, Who is this kid? And the voice sounded strikingly familiar. And I looked at my dad, and he was grinning from ear to ear. Who is this kid? <laughs> In my moment of pain, my own father, he got a big kick out of that. Isn't it good to know that in our moment of trial, our God never says, who is this kid? That our God never forgets us, never forsakes us. Isn't it amazing that our God never gets so frustrated with us that he finally just wipes his hands of us and says, I'm done? Isn't it good to know that our God will never fail or forget us? That our God will never deny or abandon us? Yet for many, there's an underlying fear that he might. You see, some live based on what's called the performance principle. Maybe it started as you were a child. You, taught, you were taught that if you don't perform exactly how you're supposed to, well, you get that disapproving glance. And you feel the guilt weighing down on your shoulders. I tried and I tried. I just could not measure up. And so your life is marked by feeling like you have to perform to earn any approval. After all, we argue, isn't that the way the world is? That's the way it is at work. You don't produce, you don't get. And so we transfer that to God. If I don't get God's approval, if I don't measure up, then I can't expect God's love. It's such a heavy burden to bear because the truth is none of us can measure up to God's holiness if we were left on our own to earn God's love who of us could actually say well God loves us and as a result of a performance-based life you do not understand or experience the grace of God and therefore what you know in its place is fear anxiety and pressure Others, it's not performance-based that they fear, but it's this issue. The reason they do not, they fear that God would abandon them. There's the fear that they've gone too far for too long. They readily admit they've played the part of the prodigal. And they know the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son and how the dad ran to meet him to welcome him home. But in the back of their mind, they're thinking, but I am worse than the prodigal. I've been gone from God for so long. How could God run to meet even me? I've been on the run from God for so long, I don't even know the way back, and God wouldn't accept me. So as a result, they live thinking God has abandoned them. If you fall into either of those categories today, or you just need a reminder of God's grace, the prophet Micah has an encouraging word for you. Micah was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. Both of them preached at a time when Israel was undergoing a time of prosperity. This was a time there was a brand new chariot in every garage and every kitchen was full. Things were great. The economy was booming. There was peace. 
And everybody was thinking, if God ever blessed us, he is blessing us now. And Micah and Isaiah come with the same message, everything is not as it seems. Yes, there's prosperity. But it's prosperity built on injustice and corruption. Yes, there is peace, but don't mistake that peace you're experiencing with other nations, with peace for God, because even your religious leaders, Micah and Isaiah preach, are going through the motions. They're doing the right stuff, but their hearts are far from God. So Micah begins his message as the majority of the prophets do. God's not mocked. Repent. Come unto him. Come back. Judgment's going to come, but return to God. But even though God is holy and just and judges, there is hope. In Micah 5, Micah says, there is a ruler. The ruler's going to come. The ruler who will rule in justice and bring about peace. And he's going to come from all places, Bethlehem. So Micah says there is hope. And it's this note of hope that is played with resounding efficacy at the end of the book of Micah. Micah ends with a doxology. Verses 18 through 20 is a, a hymn of praise lifted up, a hymn of praise that focuses on one aspect of God's character. You guessed it. His steadfast love. It begins with a question in verse 18. Who is a God like you? It's a rhetorical question that expects the answer of, well, there's no God like our God, no God like Yahweh. And why is that? You see, other gods claim to be all-powerful. Other gods claim to, to create. But what sets Yahweh apart is seen in the next phrases, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. Our God is unique because our God is gracious and steadfast in his love. Our God is unique. Why? Because he forgives. That same question could be asked today. What gods are like our God? In a world where there are billions of people that follow Allah and Islam, he is not Yahweh. Many will try to tell you, well, we just worship the same God in two different ways. No, no, no. Very different gods. Read through the Quran. You will not find one verse that talks about the mercy of Allah. Read through the scripture. You'll go through a whole notepad writing down the verses that talk about how our God is gracious and compassionate. But Allah is not the only false god that people worship. See, people worship material things and materialism. They seek that for satisfaction. That becomes the god, that which they center their lives around. So the question is, is materialism like Yahweh? Can you find satisfaction and even forgiveness in your sins? Let me tell you, if your hope is in the stock market, the stock market is not forgiving. No. There is no God like our God. And what does our God do? He is steadfast in his love. In verses 18, 19, and 20 show his steadfast love in the past, the present, and the future. Our God is unique in his steadfast love because he has pardoned our iniquity in the past. Look at the description of Yahweh that is given there. He pardons. To pardon means to forgive, to declare innocent. We are guilty before God. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us can claim innocent before God. Yet through Jesus Christ, 
Christ's blood washes away our sins so that we are proclaimed by God not guilty. Not based on our works, but based on his works. Not based on our goodness, for our goodness is non-existent. But based upon the righteousness of Jesus, God declares us not guilty. Pardons our iniquity. And look at what else he does. He passes over our transgression. He doesn't punish us as we deserve. That's not that God ignores sin. In fact, when you read on in verse 18, notice it says he does not retain his anger forever. So this is a God who has anger righteously. His anger is always directed towards sin because sin destroys. It says in Genesis that God created us in his image and we were, it was good and God, God loved what he had created. Sin mars that beauty. And God hates sin because it destroys, it kills. So God is rightly angered. So don't mistake God passing over transgression to mean that he ignores it. The word Passover there is actually connected with the book of Exodus. Where the final plague came upon Egypt. The final plague prior to God's deliverance of his children from bondage. That plague was the coming of the death angel. Death was going to come through the land and kill the firstborn of every, every family and every being unless, unless that family took a lamb that was pure and unblemished and transferred their sins to it through, through prayer and that lamb is killed and the blood put over the doorpost. And when death came, what happened? It passed over that house. Because one had already died in place of the firstborn. It's getting our mindset for Jesus. How does God pass over transgression? How does he leap over them? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ applied by faith. And God does this, look at verse 18, because he delights in steadfast love. Why does he let go of his anger? He delights in steadfast love. Why does he forgive? He delights in steadfast love. That word steadfast love is a rich word that means loyal covenant love. Once God enters into a covenant relationship, he never breaks that covenant. He is true to it till the end. No matter what. He doesn't hold on to his anger. In other words, God does not hold a grudge. My family and I, uh, my extended family, my brother and I joke when we get together at holidays that we are obligated if we're ever in McMinn County and we come across a member of the Butler family, we are obligated as Herod's to punch them in the mouth. The reason I say that is because his dad researched our family history. He discovered that the Herod's had a family feud with the Butlers. Going back to the 1800s that at times was pretty nasty. So we often joke, you know what, we're Herod's. If I'm walking near Riddle and Wallace Drugstore and come across a butler, God help them. Our God doesn't hold a grudge. He's not retaining anger. He's not holding it back to say, one day I'm going to, to come and give you what you deserve. Our God is not like that. He is loyal to his people even when his people do not deserve such loyalty. And notice he does this because he delights in steadfast love. That word delight means he takes pleasure in. And it struck me as I was preparing this week, I preached two passages that both have the word delight. 
Last week in Zephaniah 317, God delights over his children. Here, God delights in his steadfast love. I didn't do that intentionally. It just came about. But I find it amazing that God not only delights in us, he delights in showing his steadfast love. But we know that's true. Isn't one of the things that makes us feel a sense of joy and delight is when we are good at something and we're able to share it with someone else? Suppose you are are gifted at baking and you can make a cake like nobody's business. Doesn't it give you delight to make a, a cake and to share it with somebody and watch them enjoy it? For those who enjoy it, thank you. We delight with you. You know that delight. Or when you've experienced something and you want to share that experience, that's delight. God delights in showing steadfast love because it is his character. And as we begin to delight in his steadfast love, it magnifies who he is. He has declared us not guilty because of his steadfast love, whereas God passes over our sins and he does not hold on to them. That's our hope in the present. Look at verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. Now, in the Hebrew text, again, is emphasized because it's given the first place in the verse. Again, God will have compassion on us. In other words, we recognize we have sinned. In fact, that's why he says that the remnant of his inheritance in verse 18. It's a remnant because God's judgment had come upon them and they had come through. And now they are saying, Lord, we recognize our need for your grace. He'll have compassion on us. God's not hard-hearted. That word compassion is a motherly word. It speaks of a maternal love that comes from the womb. The compassion a mother has for her daughter, for her child. And it's shown in the grace that He gives us. He is gracious to us even now. That's why whenever we recognize, yes, I was saved, but I have fallen away, that God is gracious, calling us back into himself. 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us and to purify us of all unrighteousness. His steadfast love is not relegated to the past. It is a current reality that beckons us unto him because he will give us victory. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. That word for tread under is the word of a conqueror standing over a defeated army. You see, what we need to remember is that God has not only broken the penalty of our sin, death, but he's also broken the power of sin in our lives through the cross of Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. So that's why we need to come back time and time again to the reality at the end of verse 19, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It echoes what's written in Psalm 103 that God will take our sin and cast them into the wind as far as the east is from the west. Forgotten. This doxology is read by Orthodox Jews on the afternoon of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, the most holy day where sins are atoned for. And not only is this verse read, but for those that are able, they make their way to a body of water and they stand at the edge of it. And as they stand there, they reach into their pockets and they stand near the water and they empty them out. As if to say, all the sin that we are carrying, God has cast into the sea and it's gone. And if God has cast our sin into the sea, why do we try to fish for them? Why do we dwell upon them? Joe Gibbs, the former coach of the 
Washington football team told a story of a friend of his by the name of Frank. True story. Frank owned some Labrador dogs, and he lived next door to a friend who had a, a pet rabbit that he kept in a hutch out back. Frank was shocked one afternoon when he looked in his backyard and saw his lab sitting there wagging his tail with a deceased rabbit hanging from his mouth. Frank was like, oh, no, I cannot I cannot tell my neighbor that my dog has done this. So Frank devised a plan. He got the rabbit, took it inside, washed all the blood and muck and mud off of it, got out the blow dryer, made fluffy fluffy again, waited till night, snuck into the backyard, placed fluffy into the hutch, closed it, and went back home into bed. Whew. Next morning, there's a knock at his door opens it up and it's his neighbor his neighbor says Frank I gotta warn you man there's somebody in this neighborhood that is sick my rabbit died two days ago somebody dug it up cleaned it off and put it back in the hutch sick Frank somebody's sick things are buried they need to stay buried when God has cast our sin away, who are we to keep bringing it up to God? You see, our God is omniscient. He knows all things, but He's also omnipotent. And in His omnipotent power, He's able to forget our sins. I've often wondered how, long, how often it is when I keep going back to God and saying, Lord, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. And God says, what are you talking about? I've cast that into the sea. It's gone. That is God's grace for the present. But then he moves to the future. Look at verse 20. He says, You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Now he begins looking back to the promise God made to Jacob and Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, by saying that one day, Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky, as numerous as the sand on the beach. Now they weren't there yet. So this is looking to the future. It's saying, you will show faithfulness to what you have said. God, you will see your work through. You recognize how easy it is to leave something undone? Think right now. And Okay, as I say this, here's the parameter. You cannot go into guilt or dwell there. How many unfinished projects do you have at home right now? Don't, okay, no guilt. And don't start thinking about doing it right now. Because the point is this, it's easy to get halfway through something and then something comes up. I get distracted. Our God never quits and he's never distracted. Paul put it like this, he said, He who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. His steadfast love is for the future. The promise given to Abraham and Jacob is fulfilled in Christ as we are told to go and make disciples of all nations. By faith, we are grafted into that promise. And God's steadfast love is what sustains us. I find it very interesting that in these three verses, there are three words that are used for sin. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. But there are four words used for forgiveness. They are pardon, Passover, Tread under, cast into the sea. 
In a way, I think that quick study reminds us of something very profound. Our sin will never outnumber God's grace and forgiveness. Paul put it like this in Romans. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And that is God's steadfast love. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me now, if you will. This morning, as we come to a time of invitation, I'll be standing at the front if you'd like someone to pray with you, or if you have a question about what it means to follow Christ, or how to receive this grace that I've spoken of this morning, I'll be glad to talk with you. What I'll do is I'll ask you to have a seat on the front row, and then when the service is over, we'll sit down and take our time to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and to receive His grace by faith. For others here, maybe this morning you just needed a reminder of God's steadfast love. You've been wondering where God is. What's He doing? And This morning you just needed that reminder that God is with you. He is at work. And His steadfast love endures forever. You may need to come and kneel at one of our kneeling benches just to pray. Feel free to do that. Father, have your way this morning. Draw us back to remember and to dwell in your steadfast love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.